Well, it's good to be with you again, and it's always an honor and a privilege to serve you in this way. And as I said, we're, we're working with Richard and the team and Chris and Blizz. It, it's great. You know, it's great fun. And it's over, like I said, over a year. It's just gone like that since we've been kind of head of pastoral care. And many, many things that we've had to deal with. But it's been a real honor and privilege to speak about this particular series on marriage. <laughs> Three weeks is not enough. Because you see, when you live in eternity, you want forever and ever. But Chris said, no, no, no. Just three weeks. But, uh, however, I think we're going to get, actually get an extra week. So for those of you asking me if you're going to preach again, I'm going to come up again next week. i just got to see what Lord puts on my heart. It will be about marriage, but some loose ends that we need to tie up. Let me just mention again uh, Tim, Timothy Keller's book. I've, I've read through this, marked it up. It's excellent. And he's covering all the bits that I can't cover, have not time to cover. Uh, I've mentioned singleness within the context of this. I haven't mentioned sex either. Um, he covers it quite well in here, so you can have a look at that. Some of you will come to that service, I know. <laughs> However, you know, I realized he took nine weeks of, of, preaching, of, of, of preaching, as it were. I had three weeks, but I really recommend that you get hold of this book. It is superb. Uh, on, I've, though I've mentioned singleness, and much of what we've been talking about is applicable whether you are married or not, but he goes into it into some detail. Uh, sex also, he goes into some detail. Uh, excellent. So I highly recommend that. So if you do that, I think there were two on the bookstore last week. They were gone, so you, you better go quickly if, if you want to get a, a copy of this book. Last week, we had the wonderful Wendy up, and she did an outstanding job. She did it. She was just, it was just awesome. With quietness and great, as it were, skill, she challenged us on the covenant of marriage. I think it was Richard was saying to me, she was, say, she was saying things like, you know, oh, yes, I want you to be in my life. I want you to be a part of me, but I'm not sure about making a commitment. Ooh. And, it was, if you weren't here, the question is, where were you? <laughs> you need to listen to that podcast, an outstanding job Wendy did, so please do listen to that. So, over the last two weeks, we've considered what the Bible teaches about the covenant of marriage. According to the Bible, the image of God is demonstrated to the world when a man and woman meant to enter into the covenant of marriage. Wendy, as I said, uh, looked at the commitment of marriage, and it was this phrase, killer phrase. It's, I will, even if you won't. Yeah. And it's, I do, even if you don't. Wendy reminded us that marriage is not a flawed, outdated artifact. It is the most powerful demonstration of God's very nature and character in the Trinity. Demonstrating sacrificial giving and unconditional love. Ah, well, today we're going to consider the communion of marriage. And well, let's go straight into it. So let's go to Ephesians 5, 31 to 32. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. Well, we, we live in a culture that encourages us to believe that we must look for a spouse who is compatible. Now, I happen to be going across to my neighbor whose sister is unwell, and there was a Disney film, 
and I think the film was Freeze. I just happened to be catching it. And in it, the, uh, the princess meets the prince. Frozen. Frozen. <laughs> it's always good to get help. Frozen. And we know the prince have got the kids, yeah. Well, I had to laugh because in it, she meets the guy for the first time and they finish each other's words and they are so alike. So he asks to marry her and she says yes. And she goes to her sister and says, I want to marry this guy. She says, well, have you just met him? Well, yes, I want to marry him. You can't just marry someone you've just met, but we're so alike. So the whole idea is that it's the compatibility that is the key thing to marriage. But the truth is this, that none of us are compatible. That's the truth. Even if you come from the same social economic group, you have the same values, you know, you're middle class Caucasian, you know, you went to the right public schools, you have a background of breeding, you went to the right finishing schools, you came from the right environment. The truth is, you're not compatible. Because, and this is the point about marriage, you only find out when you actually make the commitment. <laughs> Isn't it? Because before, you know, you're in love and, and, and the passion is flowing and, you know, this person, you, as, if you listen to any of the songs from the 50s and 60s, you know, my wife Eileen's kind of into that era and I used to be, you know, and it's all about, I can't live without you, you know, my life is incomplete without you, what would I do if your love disappeared, you know, and all this stuff. <laughs> you know. You know, you get Dusty Springfield, you know, one of my, you know, Dusty Springfield songs, basically, if you've left my life, or, you know, I can manage without you, okay, if you can fit me and I'm fine, all of this kind of stuff. So, it's like you're centering on that person and hoping that person's going to fulfill all your needs, that when you get to mar together in marriage, you're going to live happily ever after that without any problems. <laughs> Don't we know different, yeah? <laughs> so, when the Bible talks about becoming one flesh... It's not just a sexual union, which of course strengthens that. It's more that we move to that place where we begin a journey of communion together, where we begin to live out the communion of the Trinity in our marriage. And that, friends, is a process, and that, friends, is a journey, and that's where we need help. So, what help do we need? Well, we need the framework of love and obligation. We also need the power of the cross to work in us to deal with our inbuilt self-centeredness and brokenness. And finally, we need to be filled with the Spirit. So let's look at those three things as we consider the communion of marriage. We need the framework of love and obligation. The, you know, the biblical perspective on becoming one flesh is love needs a binding framework of obligation to make it fully what it should be. Now, if you read Keller's book, he asks the question, what does this legal bond of marriage create a space for? And I quote, this legal bond creates a space of security where we can open up and reveal our true selves. We can be vulnerable, no longer having to keep up facades. We don't have to keep selling ourselves. We can lay the last layer of our defenses down and be completely naked, both physically and in every 
other way. Now that's a challenge, you know, because I'm still on the journey. There are parts of my life that I'm not open bid. And if you've been married for a while, it takes a while to trust the other person with your stuff. You say, why is this? Well, you're not sure that they might use it against you in a moment when you don't like it. <laughs> Beat you with your weakness. As when reminded us, when the feelings fade and the passion wanes, it's the covenant commitment which we made to God and each other that causes us to say, I will, even if you won't, and I do, even if you don't. Friends, if you didn't have that commitment there, that legally binding contract, how many of you would have slipped away? See, the commitment is important because there are times when it's the commitment that's going to carry you through. It's the commitment that will carry us through when the love wanes and when the passion fades. Okay. We also need the power of the cross to work in us to deal with our inbuilt self-centeredness and brokenness. You know, when I got married, I thought I was a holy man of God, God, God. Then I got married. And I realized, hmm, I wasn't. I was self-centered. I was hoping, and let's be open here. Generally, when you marry, what you're looking for is that the other person will meet your needs. Is that right? And, you know, you're an extrovert, you're blah, blah, and you meet someone who's an introvert, you like their coolness and the fact that they can be still, and you're attracted to that. And what you're hoping is that they will meet the needs that you have. (laughs) Some of you are ahead of me. Because of the fall, we entered marriage hoping that the other person will meet our need for what? Affirmation, attention, affection, and advocacy. Those are what things that we're looking for. Those are the four deep felt needs that every human being has. But you know what? It only leads to disappointment. Because no other human being can meet your needs for affirmation, affection, attention, and advocacy, except for Jesus. I'm reading a book at the moment. In fact, I've just read it. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, also on the bookstore by Peter Scazzaro. Have I said it right, Scazzaro? Yes? And he says this. We become vulnerable to what Peter Scazzaro calls emotional allergies. What's an emotional allergy? Let me tell you. That is an intense reaction to something in the past that reminds us consciously or unconsciously of an event from our history. You're in your marriage, Island, and I've been married for a number of years, and you know, we have a fight. You know, you know, evangelicals, we don't fight, we have disagreements. <laughs> you know, we have strong words. And it's, it's getting really kind of uptight, and then Eileen says, that's it, I'm leaving you. And I kind of go ballistic. And I'm thinking, and I look back, and I'm like, what was that all about? That's what we call an emotional allergy where what it was, it was linking to the fact that in my past, 
I had deep feelings of abandonment. I had deep feelings of rejection. So when I says I'm going to leave, I get the echo straight back to it, which causes me to react. Those of you who are married, you know what your emotional allergies are. If he or she says that word, bing, we call them the hot buttons. You, they just know when they want to push it, just push the hot button and they know you're going to go ballistic. You know, your, your, your spouse compares you with someone else. And all of a sudden, you, you know, they know that you're now going to go into the stratosphere. Emotional allergies. I think that's the best definition of it. Reminds us consciously or subconsciously of things from our history. See, when you start to get close and you start to move together, this is where we need God's cross to come. You see, these allergies can come from many different sources. They can be paternal or maternal patterns that have been passed to us, sins that have been committed against us, our own sins. The thing is this, it impedes our ability to become one flesh. It causes us to hide from each other within the relationship and we begin to treat the other person as though they were someone from the past. You've ever thought of it, you know, sometimes you're getting, to use Jamaican vernacular, you're getting big licks from your partner on something and it ain't, and it ain't about you. I hope I don't scare off the pre-marriage groups. <laughs> you know, I can see Megan and Ben sitting there thinking, oh, mercy, you know. What emotional allergies I've got I yet to find. <laughs> However, Jesus came to undo the works of the enemy. 1 John 3.8. All these things are revealed to us, of course, by his spirit. You see, as you are in marriage now and you have an emotional allergy or something triggers off, the question is why? Jesus comes to heal that up. He comes to undo it. That's why he says he came to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to the captives. That's why he bore our iniquities and he dealt with our shame. Jesus binds up the brokenhearted and gives us a true picture of who we are as we experience his love and affirmation afresh. Now, the cross is for all the times when we need grace and cannot save ourselves. You see, the cross is sufficient for the worst of our sins, the deepest wounds, the strongest fears, and the deepest primal pain. You see, friends, what you need to understand is that many a time in marriage, we're looking to, for a quick fix. We're looking to go to some marriage course or do, some, do something that will quickly deal with the pain. Actually, what God has provided is the cross. As we realize this is our stuff, and by the way, little advice, manage your own stuff, not your partner's stuff. Mm -hmm. I say it to married couples, take care of your own baggage, not leave his baggage alone or her baggage alone. But as we come into marriage, when our stuff comes up, it's the cross where we take it. It's the cross where we take it. At the cross... As the cross works to set us free to be who we really are, it gives us the courage to be open and transparent. 
as we journey together in the covenant of marriage, we learn to what? Walk in the light. Walking in the light means that we speak the truth one to another. Now, sometimes that is not easy. But as the cross works in us, it gives us the courage to bring things into the light. It teaches us to be vulnerable. I confess our sins one to another. Ooh. And it teaches us also, Philippians 2, 3, and 4, not to look out for our own interests, but the interests of the other person. And by the way, I'm, I'm still working on this. My wife is here, so she knows. Becoming one flesh is a decision not to live as two individuals within a relationship. It's taking the risk to become vulnerable and open and transparent, and that's the journey of grace. I remember Chris and I were talking about this. You know, you, you could be married together but be two individuals. No, the choice is to be one. Finally, <laughs> we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul in Ephesians 5, preceding verses 5, 18 to 20, it says, do not be drunk with wine. But preceding that verse, he say, look, as children of light, have nothing to do with the deeds of darkness. And even expose them. Be careful how you live. Don't be foolish. Make the most of every opportunity. Don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Then he says, do not be drunk with wine. Because that leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to the Lord, the Father, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, friends, not only do we need a cross, but we need to be filled with the Spirit. I find it very interesting that the enemy has been very, very clever with the church. He's made the church resists the work of the Holy Spirit or restrict his activity down to conversion and conviction. However, Jesus said, unless I go, he won't come. And it's the Holy Spirit that will empower us to be all the things that we need to be so that we can demonstrate to the world in the act of marriage and the covenant of marriage, the Trinity. We can't do it in our own strength. We need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will work through his word and he works through our circumstances to teach us the truth about who we really are. In my own life now, when things crop up, when I'm failing, when I argue, instead of me just wanting to just, you know, deal with it, I actually ask God to say, Lord, what are you trying to show me? What is there an echo of in my life? What is there that you want to deal with to get rid of the rubbish in my life so that I can be more like Christ and therefore I can serve my partner as you would serve me? And I ask the Holy Spirit, and I just come before him and I get still before him and I just open my heart to him. Now sometimes I have to make confession of my sin and I'll ring Derek and maybe talk through with him. Have you got someone else to talk through some of the things that are going in your life? Or are you, just, are you just rushing from one thing to the next? Is it a pattern? Is it something where the light needs to shine so the darkness can be exposed and I can experience the release and liberty of God in that area so I can be the better person? The Holy Spirit will bring wisdom and revelation. That's what 
Paul prayed for in Ephesians 1.17, that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened, that we might know what is the hope of God's calling us. But the Holy Spirit also shows us the truth about who we really are and the lies that we're living under. Some of those lies have been given to us. Some of those lies have been spoken into us. And it's impacting our ability to become one flesh within the relationship. The Holy Spirit empowers us to walk in communion with God and each other. And it's the Holy Spirit who will work in our hearts to empower us to become one flesh. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes the cross real to us. Isaiah 51. You see, when you, I realized that there was abandonment and rejection in me because of my actual my appearance. I was able to bring that lie to the cross that I wasn't wanted. That was a lie. And as that lie was broken and as I was released from that, it brought peace to my heart and it meant that I wasn't afraid of being left because I know that Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you always. That's what he speaks into my heart. I'm not expecting the affection and affirmation and attention and advocacy just for my wife. I know that it's there always from my heavenly father. Whether I'm good, whether I'm bad, whether I'm indifferent. I have a father that loves me whether I perform good this morning or whether I don't perform good this morning. Because he doesn't love me on the basis of my performance. He loves me on the basis of who I am. Son of God, not born of the will of man of blood, but born of God. Born from above. A partaker of divine natures. Anointed and appointed by the Father. Before the foundation of the earth. That we might fulfill the purpose of which he called us originally in Christ Jesus. I'm preaching. Yeah, I'm preaching this morning. That's why I want to work with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who will sanctify us in spirit, soul, and body so that we demonstrate to the world the unity and complementarity of the Trinity through the covenant of marriage. And that communion between God and Adam and Eve that was in the garden, we now begin to experience in a real-time world now by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what have we learned? Just by conclusion. Becoming one flesh is a demonstration of the image of God between a man and a woman as God intended it and a picture of Christ in the church. Becoming one flesh is seeking to recognize that God has called men and women to live together in complementarity, being fully a man and being fully a woman and rejoicing in our differences and recognizing that we are greater together than the sum of the two parts producing that tripartite communion, God, man, woman. Becoming one flesh is a daily decision that depending on his empowering presence, we're going to love the other person even when they fail to meet our needs, just as Christ loves us. It's I will, even if you won't, and it's I do, even if you don't. Finally, Becoming one flesh, would a band come up please? Is 
being willing to do acts of love when the feelings have dried up. Friends, that's the journey we're on as we seek to have that communion in marriage. We need the cross. Someone put it this way, the cross is forever. That's why Jesus said, take up my cross and follow me. We need the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will begin to give us the character that we need, the love, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, the faithfulness, the self-control. Against such, there is no law. And those in Christ Jesus, it says, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So the cross is there to deal with the stuff, the echoes or the emotional allergies, the pain, so that the boulders are removed and we can become one flesh. Should we stand? Father, we thank you this morning that you designed marriage. We thank you, Lord, that you made provision for us as a man and as a woman, living under your guidance to demonstrate your life and your love to the world. We ask you, Father, for those of us who are joined together in marriage, that, Lord, you would work in us that your light would shine into those dark places, Lord, where we are hidden, where we need to know your comfort. Forgive us, Lord, when we've looked to our partner to give us that which only you can give us. Forgive us, Lord, that we've not come to you in our desperation and our pain. Father, thank you that you have made provision for us. That on that cross, you took our pain, you took our shame. You took all the things that we are deeply ashamed of, that we brought into our relationship, and you cleansed it with the blood. Thank you, Lord, that as we walk in the light with you, we can have fellowship with one another, and your blood cleanses us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who is going to make these things a reality in our lives. And we say, come, Holy Spirit, into our marriages. Holy Spirit, have your way. Reveal to us the truth about who we are. And Lord, if we're struggling this morning, we thank you that there is grace and there's mercy. We thank you, Lord, that you know our frame, that we are but dust. But as a father has compassion on his children, so you have compassion on us. So, Lord, we pray for our marriages this morning. Pray, Lord, for those who are struggling, that as they come, they will receive grace. They will receive mercy. That you will strengthen us. That you would open the eyes of our hearts. That you would empower us so we can be and do all that you've called us to be and do as your people together. Amen.